Welcome to the Modern Mommy Dog Podcast. I'm Dr. Whitney Caceres. I'm a full-time pediatrician and a full-time modern mom. I speak and write about equipping mamas to raise resilient, healthy children and to invest in their own social-emotional health along the way. Each week, we'll give you the practical tools you need to win at parenting without losing yourself. Hey everybody, welcome back. Today I have Debbie Reber, who is the author of Differently Wired, and I'm so happy to have you today. Thanks, Debbie, for being here. Thank you, Whitney. I'm excited. Yeah. So I met Debbie through Dr. Tina Payne Bryson, who if you have not read her newest book, The Bottom Line for Baby, you need to just rush out and go buy it right now because it's so awesome. Um, But she introduced me to you and I'm so grateful because all these people who are doing this really, really good work on helping parents to have an experience that's less rooted in fear and more in an empowerment, some in school-age kids, some in kids who are specifically differently wired. So I would love to start just by hearing your story and why you wrote the book and why you do Tilt Parenting, which is your website, and all about you. Sure. Well, yes. And just a shout out to Tina. She is the bomb. Like she is one of, she's one of my role models and I'm honored to call her friend and just love her philosophy on parenting. And so, yeah, my story, I... I did not intend to be doing this work. You know, I I kind of have always lived my life where I've created what I needed at the time. And so I used to do advocacy work for teenage girls for many years. I wrote books for teen girls and would speak at girls conferences. I was a recovering teen girl myself. And then I gave birth to a son. So I was first, that was what I had to reconcile, right? Like, okay, Uh not what I thought. And then as he, you know, and being a new parent and not really knowing what I was dealing with, starting to discover, oh, I think this is a more intense experience than a typical parent is, would be having with a child this age. Mm-hmm. And as he got older and we entered preschool and we started getting more feedback from teachers and just noticing that he was really struggling in certain environments with emotional regulation and kind of really big explosive behavior. And we realized, okay, there's, there's, there's something going on here that we need to explore further. And so we kind of started looking into that around the age of three and he's 16 now. So we've been through a lot. Uh, We've gone through multiple diagnostic assessments and evaluations, a a number of schools, three different schools in three years for K first and second grade, homeschooled for a number of years. And throughout that time really realized that we're raising a child who is neurologically atypical, realized that society isn't really set up to support these kids or their families. It's overwhelming. It's isolating. It's, it brings up all kinds of anxieties for us as parents. We have more worry, I think, than most families. We struggle to find school fits. And I am someone who is really good at accessing and finding information and resources. And I was struggling. And at the time when my son was really in the thick of things, I remember just thinking, this is not right. Like there are so many other families going through this. Why am I 
having such a hard time to access information? And why do I feel so terrible all the time? And I, so I kind of always knew that once I got through the the dark years <laughs> that I was going to do what I've always done and create what I wish I'd had at the time. And so in 2016 is when I, I spent a year before that kind of researching and figuring out what would I create if I could. And then I launched Tilt Parenting as a podcast and a resource. And it's just grown from there. And the book came from there. So it's taken on a bit of a life of its own. Yeah, I can tell. I mean, from your social following and looking at your engagement that you have of just people who, of course, they need this information and they need the support. And probably more than anything, they need a community of people who understands them, which you talk a ton about in the book about finding your people and kind of being able to close in your circle a little bit. So really, you talk a ton in the book about finding your community and the importance of that and how being able to have people who really understand you in a closed in circle. You have to have other people in your life that don't get it, but making those people who do get it really part and parcel of your day-to-day life. When I was reading about your stories about the early on years with Asher, and I mean, I almost started crying because, and and if I start crying in this podcast, it will just be because this stuff is like, so I'm, I'm in it. We we're talking about, you know, I have a four-year-old and a seven-year-old and like in those tough years and even as a pediatrician and as someone who reads a lot of books and knows a lot of stuff about parenting stuff, it still is hard. So I wanted to acknowledge that for parents. The thing that hit me is you were talking about this experience of just feeling like, A, a lot of times embarrassed, you know, about what's going on in your family, and then also feeling like so alone. So can you talk about that a little bit about this shift? Because you talk about really a mindset shift of being like, I'm going to try to fit my like square kid into like a round hole versus like accepting your family and accepting your kid for, for who they are, like what you have to do to come to that place. Yeah, it was a really long, painful process because I really did. And I think so many of us experienced this. I felt like a failure. I am a really successful, you know, in my world and a successful, competent person, I am used to doing a good job. And I'm also really good at kind of learning and applying and seeing really good results. And so I was doing all the things and I was reading all the books my friends were reading. And and I, I felt that what was happening in my family, which was visible to most of the outside world in public spaces and in schools and things, was a reflection on me. And we didn't know what was going on. And other people certainly didn't know what was going on because a lot of these kids, their differences are invisible. And so they just look like they're poorly behaved or mm-hmm. um, that we're being helicopter parents when really we're just trying to, to keep them in a place where they're not gonna lose it because of a sensory issue or something. So I felt really incompetent and judged. Now, granted, a lot of that judgment came from myself and I think it does for for a lot of us. And I also, yeah, I spent a lot of time, years, trying to get back on the path I wanted to be on because I also had this whole vision for what our life was going to look like. And, you know, I was gonna be like the cool mom who, you know, like I had the whole thing and, And I was like, okay, this child is not going along with my program. And so I just really worked hard for a number of years to try to get back and probably spent too long trying to find the right perfect fit for school and, you know, for lack of a better word, fix what was what wasn't working. And it took a long time. It took really, you know, homeschooling this kid, which a friend had 
encouraged me to do for years. And I was not having it. I was like, this is not happening on my watch. But she kept saying, Debbie, this is a kid who he needs to be homeschooled. He deserves that. He deserves to learn how he learns. He's He loves to learn. He's an engaged kid. He's very bright. And this is soul crushing to him what he's experiencing at school. And it was during that first year where I first I tried to white knuckle, accept and embrace. And that didn't work. Mm -hmm. Never <laughs> and, I, <laughs> and I, I don't know if there was any one aha moment, but a friend, the same friend who had encouraged me to homeschool, she was advising me throughout this first year. And she kind of called me on it one time. She's like, Debbie, you're not really showing up for him to use one of Tina Payne Bryson's words. She's mm -hmm. like, you're not you know, you're kind of trying to check off a list of things that you need to do. And then you've finished that so you can get back to your life. But really, this is your life. This is what it's all about. And you need to just be present in that. And so I started trying to do that. Like I would show up every day without an agenda, without trying to be distracted by all the other things I wanted to be doing. And just kind of go with the flow and get curious about who he was. And I saw such a shift almost immediately when I started being present with him. And I was like, oh, I'm really onto something here. And so that really became, that was, you know, 2014. It was kind of the middle of third grade. And that became the start of, you know, just an ongoing learning process and it's just gotten better and better. Yeah, I really feel that about the whole, you're trying to do it in a way that should fit with everybody else, but it just doesn't. And you end up like hitting your head against a wall every time that you keep on trying to make it that way. My husband's family is very social. They love to have huge gatherings. Like Christmas is this huge deal and Thanksgiving and we'd travel. And we would end up at those events with my daughter with her throwing like huge tantrums where I would be like upset. My husband would be feeling like embarrassed and like feeling like really wishing that he had a different like situation with all of us, you know? And, and after a while, I'm like, we just can't do this anymore. It's not good for her. It's not good for us. And the thing is like, she can have relationships with all those people and we can too in a different way. But the sooner we come to grips with the fact that we are literally punishing ourselves every single time we try to do it in a way that is what a typical family would do, we're, we're making it harder for ourselves than mm -hmm. it actually has to be. Yeah. So I really, I really appreciate that mindset. And I think, um, uh, I had a guest who's, who's going to be, um, on, on the show who talked about raising like orchid kids. So versus like a daisy kid, right? Mm -hmm. You know, a daisy can just thrive anywhere. And like an orchid has to have a specific environment. And I think the more that we embrace that versus try to create just like, nope, here, throw you on the grass in the hot sun, <laughs> the better it is for us sooner. It's so true. And I that is really the stumbling block for so many parents. And I see it all the time in my community. And a lot of people who just discover Tilt, they come in, they start engaging with the community. And I can just see in their posts that they are still in that mindset of, you know, how do I get my kid to do this? How do I get my child to comply with this? How do I fix this behavior issue? And it, it, it takes so much unlearning and so much questioning of really everything that we thought it meant to be a good parent or what success looks like or what our life should look like. And that can take 
years for people. Some people never get there. Some people just kind of plow ahead and it doesn't end up working out well for the family or for the child. But when you can do that, it opens, you know, we feel, I think like our lives get smaller and smaller when we have these kids, because as you said, the social things, we feel limited in our options and possibilities, but really if we can get through that and start to just get curious and open about what is possible, our worlds can get so much bigger than, than the families raising their own typical kids. Yeah, I really think so. Because of course, and you know, I didn't even say this at the beginning, but really we're talking about kind of these two E kids, which you can maybe explain even and define even better than I could, but really, you know, double exceptional, exceptionally bright, you know, high IQ kids a lot of times, but then also exceptionally sensitive or exquisitely sensitive or have um, different, are differently wired, like they have ADHD or they have OCD or they have anxiety or Asperger's, you know, used to be called Asperger's autism spectrum, all of these different, um, what would be called normally like disorders, but all of these differences that they have and, and really how to help those specific kids to thrive and really families, right? Mm -hmm. Really families to thrive. I'm, I'm really curious about your journey on the co-parenting part of it, because I, I loved that you included a chapter on that in your book. I feel like that is a part that sometimes is, um, missing in the pediatrician office when we talk about this type of thing and in this, in the psychologist's office. So tell me more about how, if, if you have a partner, how you came alongside them to help support Asher. Yes. Yeah, so I am, I'm married to my husband now for 21 years and we were very much in alignment on, you know, intentionally like bringing this human into the world and what our vision was. And, you know, once things started getting challenging, I, I was the primary caregiver. I was the one who was doing all the pickups and drop-offs at preschool and responding to all the emails and the phone calls. And can you come get your child? Today's not a good day, you know, calls. Mm -hmm. And he was very supportive of it, but he was, he was working. And I think like from a behavioral point of view, we both were on the same page, but he, he's a, he will admit he's, he was much slower to kind of get with the program. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the one, at one point I really did ask him to step up. And that was when we were leaving uh, the first school that he was at. It was halfway through first grade and it was really ugly. Like it was a really low point in our in our life as a family. And I couldn't deal with it. And I was like, you need to be the one to make this phone call to have this meeting to sit down with the head of school. And he did. And that, that actually really united us, which was, which was great. But you know, as I became more responsible for the day to day, especially once I started homeschooling, my learning curve just shot up, because I was you know, I was learning all the time. I read that book, um, the positive discipline book by Jane Nelson, which I love. And it also changed my life. And mm -hmm. I was instantly like, oh my gosh, if I do this, this happens. And, you know, I was just consuming and growing and seeing such incredible results. And my husband, I would, you know, can you read this, listen to this and was busy. And so his learning curve was a lot slower. And that's where the tension really happened for us because I was seeing such progress and spending all day with this child. And then my husband would come home from work and completely shift the energy. I'd be like, no, 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 that's not how we are doing things now. You can't. Right. And so we had a period of real tension where I also started to 
it became almost like a little team, like me and Asher versus, you know, my husband. And I was holding on to information because I became a little self-righteous. Like it, it wasn't a good, yeah. wasn't a good scene. And we, so we ended up working with a therapist who specializes in families who have differently wired kids and really helped us get on the same page and realize, you know, that we needed to communicate better. We needed to see each other's experience in a more compassionate way and just recognize that this is hard for both of us in completely different ways. And what is it triggering for us and work really hard to just be more aligned. And that, that has worked. I mean, we're still, we're still not totally even in in where we are with things, but we have kind of the tools to communicate and to, to always go back to just check-ins and what's going on and that kind of thing. And it sounds like a mutual understanding of what the goal is and what the intention is, you know, I mean, it's pretty hard probably to have a wife that wrote a book on the subject to not be like (laughs) in step on it. Although I will say, I mean, I write a book on, you know, self-care for working moms and, and on, you know, self-care when you're a new mom. And, and even then I have to be like, now this is my, I'm, I'm taking this time for myself. (laughs) So I'm just going to remind you I'm taking this time for myself. No, I, I think that is true. I think that does happen where maybe one parent is the person who is, uh, just at their baseline, you know, more organized, or they're the person who was used to kind of checking off boxes to make sure things would happen correctly with a school or to set up the appointments with the psychologist. And then it's like, they kind of own it, mm-hmm. you know, and then the other person is like the sidekick. And I think that triangulation happens a ton too, mm-hmm. where it's you and your child, like against this other person who is just operating out of what the world operates like for other kids yeah. and what works well for every other every other child. So I'd love to hear your suggestions. My suggestions are always to go together to the psychologist and to the therapist with mm-hmm. your partner to uh, read the books on audio book in the car together so that you mm-hmm. both have like the shared equal information. Um, mm-hmm. And it's not like a, here's an assignment to go read this book. I mean, I'm very much like, Hey, we're on, we're going to like a vacation thing together. Guess what we're doing for the first hour to get there. <laughs> we're listening to this book. Right. Yeah. Just so that way, when you have conversations, it's based off a common place of knowledge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, and I will say this is one of the biggest pain points that I hear from parents you know, obviously the parents who show up in my community, it tends to be just one half of the equation if they do have a partner. And many of them feel very frustrated, or maybe their partner is differently wired as well. And so that which is very common. And it is complicated. Some of the best advice that I heard was a guest I had on my podcast, and I'm spacing on his last name, Jeremy. It says Jeremy Schneider. He is a marriage counselor. And and I asked him this question, and he said, that it's really important that we don't expect our partner to show up or to to kind of excel in the same way that we do. And so rather than expecting that they are going to consume the same content and have it apply to them in the same way, rather look at the strengths that they do bring and focus on that. So it's equity, not equality, right? So if you think about that, you know, when I just need space that my husband and Ash are always doing like video programming projects together. And that's what they do. And it keeps them busy and they can go on long walks and discuss it. And that is something that they have that that engages my son in in a different way than I can gives me space, you know, like, we all have different strengths and how we show up. So I think I was always expecting it needs to look the same. You need to do this. It has to be 
um, you have to read this, listen to this. And when I, of course, I still like, he doesn't always listen. Most of the time doesn't listen to my podcast, but I'm like, this episode you really need to listen to. um, So we can talk about it. But for the most part, I try to just support the ways that he does show up and what can that bring to the relationship and not expecting us to be on par. Hi, Mama. Guess what? Our book, The New Baby Blueprint, is out in the world. We're so excited because we know it's going to help change the new motherhood experience. The bump said, they say motherhood doesn't come with a manual, but the new baby blueprint comes pretty close. You can find it wherever books are sold or check it out at modernmommydoc.com forward slash book. Well, and I think, I mean, just generally speaking, right, in partnerships, it's like all about equity versus equality. So Mm -hmm. even for people who have more typical kids, I think that's true. But I, yeah, I mean, there are parts of parenting that my husband does with ease in a way that takes me like 200% energy, Mm -hmm. right? So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, dance parties with the kids, like that's on my husband and that gets my daughter engaged in a way that is different than it would be with me. You know I mean? Um, he's better at teaching her Legos. They love to do Legos together. That's mm-hmm. something I want to like, you know, poke my eye out if I have to do Legos for more than five minutes. So, yeah. <laughs> so I think there are, there are all those opportunities for people to really shine within their, within their strengths. I'll say too, that one of the game changers for us was dedicating time to check in every day because if we, even if it was five or 10 minutes after Ash went to bed to just check in so that I could share what I had experienced that day or like the really hard moment we had during this transition or whatever we needed to share. If we didn't take that time, I would start to build up these things and start to feel more and more isolated and disconnected from him. He wouldn't understand what I was going through emotionally and it would just create this bigger and bigger divide. So dedicating that time to just do a very quick, like five minute check-in, just so we don't start to get behind on where we are from being on the same page. And I uh, I think that also leads into what you talk a ton about in the book, which is the importance of self-care as like a ritual, but then also self-compassion and self-reflection and this curiosity around what went well today. Huh? I wonder why that went well, Mm -hmm. or this was a struggle. I wonder why. And then I don't know. I'm a huge fan of mindful self-compassion, um, Kristen Neff and um, Christopher Gurner and all of their stuff, which is just so like light, simple, but profound. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, how did you start developing a practice of that? Because you talk about it a ton in your work about being able to be more curious with yourself, curious about your child, and then also kinder to yourself, gentler to yourself in terms of harder, instead of harder on yourself. Yeah. And that is something I'm continuing to work on, I will just say. And actually, I just interviewed Kristen for my podcast oh. too. So I've been like, I've been like, even just the other day, I, I really had a moment where I was starting to spiral and get sucked into some negative emotions with the uh, teenage human in my home. And I was like, I'm going to Kristen's website. And I did one of her five minute self-compassion meditations. I felt so much better. So it's been a journey. The self-care has always been a thing for me. I'm an athlete. I, I still run every day. And, and I've always been kind of self-interested in that way, like my prioritizing my emotional, mental, physical well-being. 
And so I've had that, but I haven't always been so good at not beating myself up again because of being a control freak and having these really high expectations for myself. And so, you know, I've over the years, I've worked with parent coaches. I've, I am a certified coach as well. So I've, I, I've done a lot of work on just kind of trying to understand the power that our thoughts have over our feelings and trying to uncover and get curious about what are the stories I'm telling myself? Where does this feeling come from? And it's still, like I said, it's something I have to work on. I think as, as you know, we're so busy, we rarely take time to slow down and say, wait a minute, why am I feeling this way? Or where am I feeling this in my body? And what is that saying to me? What painful story from my childhood is that like bringing up right now? And so that's just work I continue to do. But I do believe that raising these kids, like the most profound thing we can do is do the deep work on ourselves. Mm-hmm. People come to me and they want to know, how can I get my kid to do this? And I'm like, you know, there, of course, there are strategies for things, but really the most powerful thing you can do for your child is to uncover your own baggage. It's to, it's to just spend time understanding what your triggers are and getting clear on how you want to be as a parent and doing the daily difficult work of showing up in a way that that doesn't bring all that residual crap along with it. And you can really just be present for your child. So, you know, these kids give us a ton of opportunity to practice, which is great. So (laughs) (laughs) it was not great when the smoke was here in Portland. And I was like, Oh no, this child is like driving me batshit and my other one too. And I was literally on the floor in the kitchen, like, I am just gonna like I told the neighbors, I go, did you hear a scream? That was not my kids. That was me. <laughs> that was me. Okay. That was me. So I think that's the other part of this, right? It's like being okay with, yeah, sometimes you're just gonna mess up or sometimes you're just gonna flip your lid, or sometimes you're gonna just be super emotional. One thing I loved that you said in the book, when some examples that you gave were about understanding the ways that we talk about our kids to other people as a way to make ourselves feel better. Mm-hmm. So this idea of like our child's acting out, having a fit, and I look over at the other parent and like roll my eyes in a way to be like, yeah, I get it. I know this is weird. Mm-hmm. Or my child does something and I know that honestly, it's not out of malice that they're doing it. It's not a horrible thing. It's just that they're sensor- on a sensory overload at the moment. And I go correct them on it when I wouldn't necessarily do that in my own home, I'm just doing it as like a show Mm -hmm. to make sure that other people know that I'm a good parent. All of those things hit me hard. And I think that is the struggle of parents of kids who are differently wired and parents who are typically wired of like, you have to do the work on why exactly do Mm -hmm. I need other people to think that I'm a good parent in that way? Like why exactly is me looking good in the eyes of other people more important than my child getting what they need and me getting what I need in this moment? Yeah. And yeah, I was some of my lowest moments as parents, or I I don't believe in shame. Like I don't think shame is useful in any way, but I still like it. I feel that like I, even as you're talking about that, I just remember a time we, we lived in Amsterdam for a number of years and I love the Dutch and they can be really judgmental and direct. Like they will tell you exactly what they think mm-hmm. is okay and acceptable. 
And so I remember being on a tram and having some, you know, my child was pretty big at this point and behaving in a way that you would not expect a child of that age to be behaving. And I, I, I don't remember what I said, but I know that I went right to like correction mode. Like I wanted mm-hmm. that to stop right now. And I was, mm-hmm. Oh, I can still feel it. And I, I was so upset with myself for making that choice. Obviously, that wasn't the right choice for my son. It escalated. Things. Like, it was just bad all around. Um, but I think a lot of us do this. And it, I think because so many of us, I don't know if this is true true for you, but for me, you know, one of my deep, deep triggers from childhood is that I'm not good enough, right? I'm yeah. not good enough. Uh, people don't take me seriously. And I have to always be proving that I'm good enough. Like, that comes from when I was, like, five, right? And yeah it's still there. You know, I've done a lot of work on it. It's still there. It still gets triggered in certain situations. So, you know, and that's the work of self-compassion and to really start to recognize like, okay, this is, this is that part of me and it's okay. Like it's okay to feel this way. I understand this is really hard for you. And to just look at it as like, wow, that's good information. How can I take this experience in that situation and learn from it? How can I learn more about myself? How can I plan differently so it doesn't happen in the future? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, the lowest moments that I've had have all been the most beneficial in terms of either me learning more about myself as a parent or in some time, in some situations, they've resulted in these really beautiful moments with my child when I've gone into repair. And when we've talked Mm -hmm. about it, we've, we've elevated our our relationship. So if we can skip the beating ourselves up, or at least keep it pretty short, yeah. <laughs> in terms of how much time we spend doing that, and pivot to, wow, that was really interesting. I wonder what I what that was about. And just do the, give ourselves the compassion to explore it. And then if our depending on our child's age, you know, talking it through with them, gosh, I completely blew it on the tram the other day. And I really wish I had done that differently. And, you know, I mean, there's so many ways you could take that conversation. Yeah. Yeah. And I have found it so interesting to see her insight because again, like doubly kid, right? A kid who maybe in that moment really flips is totally not able to access their logical thinking, but later on is able to have such insight into what happened Mm -hmm. and is able to explain back to me. Yeah. I felt like I had Elsa powers. I feel like I have Elsa powers. And sometimes my Elsa powers just shoot out out to everybody else. And I don't know, mom, if I'll ever be able to control those powers. Like, oh, well, that's a totally different way of looking at it. Mm-hmm. How cool. I mean, how cool that you have a child who can articulate what they're feeling, maybe not in the moment, but that later on you can use then to, to help them be stronger in themselves, in their really cool, unique selves. Yeah, I mean, I would never in a million years have been able to express myself like that when I was seven. Right. No one asked me, you know, and when I was being brought up, like any display of big emotion was just bad, period. And there was no processing. I think these kids are going to be the most emotionally intelligent adults that a generation is like, they're going to know themselves so well because of who they are and because of how sensitive they are in the way that they experience the world. And then having parents who really encourage them to explore that side of themselves, it's going to be phenomenal to see them as adults. 
Yeah, it's really cool. And, you know, when Tina and I talked, we talked about this, this line, of course, you know, that doesn't mean we let our kids not sometimes have like a natural consequence. It doesn't mean some like that we don't have limits on things. It doesn't mean we let our kids just do whatever the heck they want all day long. Right. I mean, the emotion part is, is part of the behavior, but there, there is, it is okay to have some things where we say, listen, that's not all right. I understand you felt so upset that I took you out of the bath right now and that's okay. Let's process that, but we're still getting out of the bath. You know, (laughs) I mean, those things are okay too, but yes, I agree with you. I mean, I think if done in a way that's based off, like you say in your book, what's possible for my child and how can I understand the language of my child better and understand who they are as a person, as opposed to, I don't want to, I want to operate out of, I'm worried about what they will be like in the future, or I'm worried about myself ending up like in the end, I was a bad parent or other people view me as a bad parent. That's so freeing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it really is about respecting them, right? It's about respecting mm-hmm. them as humans and mm-hmm. as people on their own journey and in the way that they're wired. They are who they are. They are exactly who they're meant to be. And it is really easy to get kind of worried about the future because the path looks so unclear to us. Whereas we can look at everyone else and say, well, they've got it so easy. Everyone, they're going to go to school and like we have, we play it all out. Like, and of course it's not easy for them. Kids change their minds and do unexpected things all the time. But we can really just get curious, realize these kids have so much time, you know, what is possible for them when they feel, again, to use Tina's words, when they feel safe and seen and soothed and secure, which for some of these kids, if they've had negative experiences, might take them a while to get out of fight or flight mode. But what is possible for them is really unlimited in terms of how they can grow. And they have plenty of time to to reach whatever their goals are. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think since most of our listeners are are mamas, and I always want to like put in a plug for mama health laddering up to kids health. Again, I think if we can take on a philosophy that's based in this, it helps us too to have a more free experience. So that like we were talking about in the beginning, it feels like our worlds get really, really small at first when we have a kiddo that we start wondering as they hit one, two, three years old, like what is happening? I This is not the same experience everyone else that I'm seeing is happening. I feel like the world feels like it's closing in on you. And if you can learn to understand your child for who they are and to respect them and to figure out how am I going to learn their language like we talked about, then your world also as a mama just expands, expands, expands. So much more freedom. Yeah, it's really fun. It's exciting. And it's just when you start breaking the rules, you know, I mean, rules are, well, I've always been breaking rules. That's just my (laughs) MO. But, you know, we if we just kind of plug along, and we don't question really anything. And if we start when we start to like, realize, oh, actually, it's like the matrix, right? Like anything is really possible here. And it is, it's exciting if we kind of lean into that and embrace it. Yeah, that's cool. All right. Can you tell listeners where they can find you on the web, on social, all those good places? Yeah. So tiltparenting.com is my hub, my home, and you can find all the 200, almost 230 podcast episodes on there. 
you can read more about my book, get a sample chapter. I have a differently wired seven day challenge that's free if people want to explore that. And I'm on all, I'm not really into Twitter so much, but I'm on Instagram at Tilt Parenting. I have a Facebook page for Tilt Parenting. And then I have a great group called Tilt Together on Facebook that is just parents supporting parents. And it is, there's so much engagement happening and it's my favorite part of, of my work right now. Oh, awesome. Okay. Well, I got to go join that and then also tell every <laughs> single patient that I have in my practice about it too. Awesome. <laughs> thank, thank you for being here. Thank you so much, Whitney. You guys, it is here. Our new programs have landed. They're at modernmommydoc.com. We're so excited about them because we've just been thinking about how could we provide more accessible, digestible information for mamas out there who really want to elevate their motherhood experience. And so we have four programs now at Modern Mommy Doc. The first is taking care of you and your newborn which is all about helping to prepare yourself or taking care of yourself and your baby in the first month of life. And then parenting in partnership, which is about how to work as a team with a co-parent to really make sure that you are on the same page and working strongly together and making the best possible environment for your kiddos to thrive. The third is the Mama Reset at home retreat, which is really cool. It is a collection of experts who are there to provide you with a chance to reconnect with yourself, to recenter, to think about what you want and your motherhood experience, but then also to give you some practical applications within the actual time we have together. So opportunities for journaling, for gentle movement, for learning all about nutrition, really hands-on practical applications, but then also a chance to have some mindfulness there in the moment. And then finally, navigating and regulating children's big emotions, which we know is a big one for mamas. We're also working on that one. And so we are providing in that program a lot of extra help about how to take care of our own emotions as we parent, and then also how to meet kids where they are and use really evidence-based strategies to help our kids understand their emotions, to name their emotions, and then also when their emotions just get too big for them, how to help to calm their nervous systems and how to help them become the 35-year-olds that we hope that they will be. I hope you guys will join me. You can go to modernmommydoc.com for more information.